0: You ever been there? Good morning, church. I want to thank Transformation Church for letting us borrow their video. It fit perfect with the series. But uh, we've all experienced that, right? You go in there, especially with three boys, you know, that were growing up. And and it always seemed like when i go get a bowl of cereal that I would grab the milk out of the uh, refrigerator. And they would never completely empty it. You know what I'm talking about? They would leave that little skim of milk on the very bottom. And then you would ask them, what happened here? Why did you not, like, throw this away? And they would say what? it wasn't empty, right? And so we've all understand that struggle of having no milk when it came time to eating our cereal. But the reality is this, we know that is not really a struggle, is it? Come on, we know, I mean, that's an inconvenience that makes us want to ground all our kids, but at the end of the day, that is not a struggle. We know what struggle is, right? We know that relationships are struggles. We know that career is struggle. We know that parenting is a struggle. We know that marriage is a struggle. We know that finances can be a struggle. We know that school can be a struggle. Can I get an amen from our young adults? Yeah, you're like, oh, I'm done with it. Don't talk about school anymore, right? A career, I mean, everything can be a struggle. We understand what, if I were to ask you individually today, what is a real struggle for you? We all know what struggle is. We know what struggle does to us and what it, what, what, how we wrestle with that. We all know what struggle is. And today, and really over the next nine weeks, from today through the end of July, what I want us to do is I want us to address the primary struggle that every single one of us deal with. If you know Christ or you don't have a relationship with Christ, we all have the exact same struggle. And that struggle is the struggle with sin. Every single one of us struggle with sin. None of you have it figured out. None of you are exempt from the struggle. We all wrestle with sin. And you think about it, what sin is, it's like, Doug, well, define sin for me. Well, you may want to write this down. Maybe you don't have an active work, working definition, but I remember one day I was teaching in the elementary area there and in, in the, the kids' area, and I remember they were talking about sin, and I asked a question. I said, Do you all know what sin is? And Justin Jacobs raised his hand. And gave me the best definition of what sin is. And so I'm using Justin Jacobs' definition today of what sin is. You ready? Here's what sin is sin is anything we say, anything we do, or anything that we think that violates God's word. That's pretty good, right? For a kid to come up with that. I mean, I don't know if you could come up with anything better than that, right? And because what it says is there's anything that I think, anything that I do, or anything that I say with my mouth that is rebellion against God's word or rebellion against the nature of God, that is sin. And if we were honest this morning, don't we all struggle with sin? Can I get an amen? Some of you are like, no, I don't want to confess, but you do. We all struggle with sin right? And here's the thing about sin, and the reason I think we struggle so much is because sin is super attractive, right? The enemy's super smart. He knows that he's got to present things and and posture them in such a way that would draw us in, that would feed our fleshly desires, and sin's attractive. And also, sin temporarily and, and kind of immediately, but temporarily gratifies and satisfies our desires, And so we struggle with sin, and we struggle resisting sin. So over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 6, chapter 7, and chapter 8. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at that, and we're going to discover what is the truth about sin, what is our relationship to sin, and we're going to see the desperate need for you and I to overcome sin. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 6, the book of Romans chapter 6, and we're going to read the first 14 verses so i'm going to ask you to stand in honor of reading god's word if you're awake this morning say i'm awake i hope you're ready because god's word is good this morning it says this in verse one this is what the word of the lord says what shall we say then are we to continue to sin and that grace may abound by no means How can we die to sin, still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one has died, has been set free from sin. No, if we have died to Christ, died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. That's where the church should say amen. Amen. For death, he he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive in God in Christ Jesus. Let no sin therefore reign in your mortal body. To make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for today. God, there is so much truth in this passage. God, would you be with us as we unpack it? May your Holy Spirit open our eyes to your truth. It's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, if you were going to take these first 14 verses and say, Doug, what is the theme of this? I mean, if there, if there was one thing I could write down that tells me exactly what verses 1 through 14 really kind of are driving, it's this. Here's the point, <clears throat> that we are dead to sin, but alive in Christ. That's the whole point Paul is making, that we have, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we have died to sin, and we are alive in Christ. I want you to notice something in the passage. Did you notice that he starts this passage off with a question? Did you notice that? Look back at verse one with me again. He says this. He says, what shall we say then? What shall we say? Let's pause there for a moment. If you know in your Bibles that sometimes you come to a word, Patrick read a verse a while ago, that started with the word therefore. Do you know what that word therefore means, right? That word therefore is therefore for a reason, and so if the Bible says, like in Romans chapter twelve, it says therefore in view of God's mercy, that he's saying, therefore based on everything I previously have said. So the word therefore in chapter twelve of Romans should take you back to chapter eleven of Romans to figure out what in the world did he say, and in light of that, here's our response. This phrase, what shall we say then, does the same thing. It should take us back to what Paul has talked about in chapter 5 in Romans. And chapter 5 in Romans, what Paul does is he does this amazing <coughs> comparison between how sin and death entered the world through one man, Adam, but how salvation and freedom from sin entered through one man named Jesus. At the very end of chapter 5, you can go back and read later, verse 20, Paul establishes something that leads him into this phrase, what shall we say then? He establishes this, that many of you in the church of Rome have spent your life trying to keep the law, trying to keep the Mosaic law. And somewhere you think if you can keep the law, that somehow God is going to be pleased with you, and that's going to bring salvation. And what Paul tells them in chapter 5, verse 20 is, the law does not bring salvation, The law does not rescue you from sin. It doesn't. The law was never intended to do that. In fact, all the law does, listen to me, church, (coughs) all the law does is make us aware of our sin. It didn't rescue us from it. It didn't save us from it. It just makes us aware that we're sinners. So as a result of that, when you were under the law, when you were trying to live and keep the law somehow to please God, which won't please God, when you were trying to do that, sin was abounding in your life. In other words, sin was thriving in your life. You say, well, Doug, that's bizarre. Paul would tell them that, that sin was thriving when they're trying to do the things that God told them to do. Well, it's not bizarre because, remember, does the law save you? No. Does the law bring forgiveness of sin? No. no. The law just exposes that we are sinners. The law exposes what God's standard is and how we all fall short. He listen, <coughs> this law that you're trying to keep, man, it does not bring victory over sin. It brings awareness. And as a result, when you were under the law, when you were trying to keep the law, all that was happening was sin was thriving in your life. But when you accepted Christ as your savior, You are no longer under the law. You are in Christ, and now you are under grace. Is that good news this morning? that I don't have to keep a set of rules and regulations to be accepted by God, but all I have to do is receive the love that he sent to us through the person and the work of Jesus who died on the cross and rose again on the third day, that we are now as believers not under the law, we are under grace. So what he's doing is he's reminding these Christians in Rome, listen, you thought the law all wrong. It exposed that we're sinners, but you're not under the law anymore. You're under grace. So when you were under the law, how sin abounded in your life? Listen to this. When you accepted grace, are you accepted Christ, grace abounds all the more. In other words, sin ran ravaged in your life. It ran helter-skelter in your life. But when you accepted Christ, that grace and God's love forgave you your sin and covered that sin. So that's what Paul says in chapter 5, verse 20. And then he comes to this question. Can we put the question back up there? What shall we say then? Are we continue to sin that grace may abound? Now, what Paul is doing is he's understanding these people are going to ask the stupidest question in the world. These people that now that I've quantified and qualified what law and and grace looks like, that law can't save you. There's no victory in keeping the law. It doesn't have victory over sin. In fact, it just shows us we are sinners. But being saved by grace through faith, that's where forgiveness is. Now we're under grace. I know what they're going to ask me. They're going to say, hey, Paul, (coughs) if that's true, then maybe we should just keep on sinning so God's grace can show up more and more and more and more. You're laughing, but some of you may think that way, right? And that's exactly what the church in Rome had to be wrestling with. I mean, why in the world would Paul ask this question? Why would he say to them this thing? Because Paul understood humanity and understood that if that was the truth about law and grace, that there's gonna be some out there going, hey, listen, maybe we should just keep sinning so God's grace. Can abound. So he says, Are we to continue to sin that grace can abound? In other words, are we to continue to live a life under the power and the control of sin just so we and other people can experience God's grace? That's the question. Now let's go to the answer, verse, th- or verse two. Look at the answer here. By no means. By no means. That's not just a no, that is an absolutely not. In other words, that line of thinking is absurd. Now, follow with me just for a moment. What Paul is going to acknowledge, and what we've got to see in this is that if they had that mindset, if we have that mindset, that, hey, I'm going to sin, I'm going to do what I want to do, God still loves me, God still forgives me, that's the same mindset that Paul's addressing here. And some of us live our life that way. We go, hey, I can go ahead and do what I want to do. I can satisfy my desires. because at the end of the day, God's still going to love me. And the answer is, yes, he is. But when we say things like that, here's what we're doing. Instead of us celebrating grace, we're trying to abuse God's grace, right? And when we do those kinds of things, we're of uh, this mindset where we're like, you know what, that, that whole notion is, you know, I can continue to live the life I want to live, but still be loved by God. I mean, there's something really wrong with that thinking. And he says, should we do that? No. No, you shouldn't do that. How can we who die to sin still live in it? What he says is, no, you can't because we've died to the penalty and we've died to the power of sin. Listen to me. Those those of us who have been made alive in Christ cannot habitually live in sin. Now, use the word habitually there because I want you to hear me on this. This idea of living in it doesn't mean struggling with it. There's a difference here, okay? Living in it means I'm active, (coughs) I'm practicing, and I see nothing wrong with it. Now, I know we all struggle with sin, but that's different than what Paul is addressing right here. He's talking about those who are living in it. He's like, how can we who have died, who have died to sin, who have given our life to Christ, how can we live in sin? Perpetual, habitual sin. And the answer is you can't. If you belong to Christ, yes, you're going to struggle with sin. And we're going to get to that in a moment. But at the end of the day, you can't have a heart that says, I'm active, I'm practicing, and I see nothing wrong with it. Because if you see nothing wrong with the sin in your life, that means you're not feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And if there's no conviction of the Holy Spirit in your lives, that means there's evidence that there's no Holy Spirit. Are you with me on that, church? This is a pretty powerful passage, isn't it? He's rebuking the church at Rome. He's letting them know, hey, you've got to think about this more clearly. So he says, absolutely not. If we are truly dead to sin, we can't live in sin. So what Paul does is he addresses their mindset, says, listen, we know what the law was for. It was to expose that we're sinners. But where the law and and sin abound, grace all the more abound. And I know you're thinking maybe we should keep sinning so great. No, 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 come on. No, because your life has been changed. You've died to sin and you're alive in Christ and you no longer can live in it. And then Paul shifts gears here in verse three and he begins to talk to us about what it means and why we should not continue to live in sin. Look at verse three, look what he says. He gives really four things about why we should not live in sin. The first thing he says in verse three, do you not know that all of us, Who have uh, been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Here's what Paul says. One reason we should not continue to sin is we've been baptized into Christ. Now, this word baptized is the Greek word baptizo, and it means to be immersed. Now, here he's not talking about water, he's talking about our story. See, I was explaining even to someone this morning that when you think about baptism, and I know when we go out there and baptize, you rarely listen to me. We just cheer for the person baptized. But when you think about baptism, we all need to know this: that when someone goes under the water and they're brought up, it's a picture of how Jesus was. He was crucified, he died, he was buried, and three days later, what happened? You're not very excited, this morning. What did he do three days later? He rose from the grave. And when we baptize someone, that is a picture of what Jesus experienced spiritually, of what we experienced, uh, what He experienced physically, of what we experienced spiritually. We have died to that old self, and now we're a new creation in Christ, right? And so He says, when you when you accept Christ, your story has been immersed into His story. Our story is Jesus' story and his story is ours. Just as he physically died and was buried and rose again, spiritually, we have died to the old self, and we are a new creation in Christ. One reason we should not continue to sin is because we've been baptized with Christ. He gives a second reason found in verse 4 through 5. Look in 4 and 5. He says this, we, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in the resurrection like his. Here's what Paul says. Knowing have we've been baptized with Christ, we are united with Christ. Listen to me. We are one with him. One of the reasons that we should not continue to allow sin to creep into our lives is because, yes, our story has been immersed in his story, but also because we've been united with him. We belong to him. There's two phrases used in this passage. The first one he talks about is we've been buried with him. Burial is a picture of death. And what we know is Jesus died for sin, and when we accepted Christ, we died to sin. Are you with me on that, church? you understand that this morning? Do you understand that before Christ, sin had dominion over your life, that you were controlled by sin, that you were a slave to sin? Do you understand that? And when Jesus came into your life, he set you free from that. Everything we sang a while ago, that we are free, that we're free, that is so true for us this morning. We have been set free. So we've been buried with him. Jesus died for sin so that we could die to sin that unites us. And then he uses this phrase, (coughs) we've been raised with him. I love this phrase because it's a phrase that's one of these already not yet phrases. One day, if you're a Christian, let me give you some really good news. You ready for some good news this morning? Here's the good news. One day as a Christian, you're going to leave this world. Well, that's not great. news. It is great news. Because if you're a Christian, what waits for you? heaven right and one day you're going to leave this world and or if not Jesus is going to come again and you're going to experience a physical resurrection where that which is mortal will be immortal that which is finite will be infinite that which is broken will be made perfect you will be given a glorified body and you will spend all eternity <coughs> with Christ in heaven forever one day you'll be raised with him physically one day that's the not yet but the already is that's already happened to you spiritually when you said yes to Christ, you died to the old self and you were raised to walk in newness of life. Do you hear him saying that? What does that mean? That means now your life has new purpose, now your life has new value. Now your life has new meaning. You are a new creation in Christ. You belong to him. And so when we come together and we talk about sin and we understand we wrestle with sin, one of the motivating factors for us to resist it and to do away with it and make sure that we're, we're living a life of purity and living a life honored to God instead of embracing all the sin that's around us, one of those things is, yes, we've been baptized with him, but we've been united with him. We belong to him. We are one with Christ. But then he gives a third reason why we shouldn't in verse 6 and 7. He says this, "We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved <coughs> to sin, for one has di- one who has died has been set free from sin." Here's the third reason we should continue to sin is because we've been set free from the bondage of sin. Did you pick up on what Paul said? The old self has been what? Crucified. Crucified. In fact, I honestly think Paul says it better in Galatians chapter 2. Paul says, for I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And this life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What's Paul saying? He said, there was a moment in my life I crucified my old self. I was walking towards sin. I was walking toward hell, and I was recognized what truth was. I recognized what Jesus had done for me, and I repented, and I turned from my sin, and I gave my life to Christ. I killed the old self, and now I'm living this life by faith in Christ. Paul, like, that's what happened to me. So he says, we've been set free. We've died to those self, and because we've died to those self, listen to me. Because you've died to the old self, sin no longer has a grip on you. Sin no longer has control of your life. Can I say something lovingly for just a moment? So stop letting it. Right, stop letting it. Some of us this morning, you know you're Christians, but man you're living and sin is just wearing you out and sin is overcoming you and sin's got a grip on your life. You have been set free from that. Start living that way. Start acting that way. Start thinking that way that you're no longer in bondage to th- sin that is going to invade your thinking, invade your process of making decisions. You've been set free from that by the power of Jesus and you've got to stop giving into it. You've got to stop being a slave to sin. And then he says one more thing before we get ready to wrap this up. He says, we've been baptized with Christ. We united with Christ. We've been set free from sin. And here's the fourth thing he says, verse 8 through 11. He says this, now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also, what? Live with him. <laughs> we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider, listen to this, yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. One reason that we should not let sin reign and rule in our life is because we are dead to sin, but we are alive in Christ christ listen to me it's not only important for us to talk about how we've died to sin i need you to know this morning you are alive in christ he has set you free and what jesus wants to give you is what he says in john chapter 10 verse 10 he says the thief comes to steal kill and destroy but i've come that you may have life and have it how more abundantly like listen we've not only been set free and died to sin but you're alive in christ I want you as believers, and he's like, Paul's like, I want you as believers in the Church of Rome, I want you to live this abundant life. I want you to enjoy every benefit that you have of belonging to Christ. I want you to live that way. I want you to live a life of joy. I want you to live a life of purpose. I want you to live a life of meaning. I want you to live a life of making your story of the gospel, changing your life, known to everybody else. And the question is are you living that way this morning, church? See, what I'm convinced of, too many believers know that we've died to sin, yet we keep wallowing in sin, and we're not living like we're alive in Christ. It should, should it be frustrating to us for people to talk about how much they love Jesus with a scowl on their face? Should that be alarming to us? When someone says, I love Jesus, but, man, there's nothing about them, there's no joy about them, I mean, they talk about their faith, but there's no joy. I mean, if you have no joy about you, there's a problem with that. Listen, I know I struggle with sin. I know you struggle with sin. I know life stinks sometimes. But at the end of the day, joy is not an emotion. Joy is being in the deepest, darkest tunnel of my life and knowing that God has provided light at the end of that tunnel. That's joy. And so I can go through hell on earth and still have joy because of what Christ has provided for me. And I'm just asking you this morning, are you living like You're enslaved to sin. Are you alive in Christ this morning? Is there something about you this morning that's just ready to jump up and go attack hell with a water pistol because you know that Christ has changed you? I tell you, I'm so weary of believers that are just mundane, pitiful, pathetic, woe is me. Man, there's a lost world dying and going to hell, and they need to see life in the church and people that are alive in Christ. That's what Paul's telling the church in Rome. Why should we not continue to sin? You've been baptized with him. Your story is immersed in his story. You are united with Christ. You belong to him. You've been set free from sin. Sin no longer has jurisdiction on your life. But not only are you dead to sin, you're alive in Christ. Start acting like it. And then he finishes with this challenge. I love this. This is so Pauline. He finishes, He says all this powerful stuff, and then it's like he comes back down. He says a few things here. Look at verse 12. He says so. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. So he says, listen, after everything you've heard me say, here's what I want you to walk away with. No longer let sin reign in your life. You now know you're no longer a slave to it. So stop letting it. Rain. You no longer has jurisdiction in your life, so stop not giving it authority over your life. Now, here's what you and I know. Even though sin has been dethroned in our life, it still has a strong pull, doesn't it? It still has got a strong pull, doesn't it? And so you and I need to make sure that we deal with the sin in our life, that we make sure that we're resisting temptation that we make sure that we ask God to expose the sin in our life and we call it out and we deal with it. We need to make sure that we guard against and avoid being in environments that lead us down a path of sinfulness. We need to make sure that we are no longer letting sin reign and rule in our lives and in our hearts. Then Paul says this. He challenges them with this, verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, for your members to God as instruments <coughs> for righteousness. Here's what he says. No, no longer let sin reign. But second of all, I want you to yield your bodies to Christ. I want you to yield your bodies to Jesus. A couple words there he uses. First of all, the word members. That doesn't just mean our physical bodies. That means your mind, your heart, your soul. It means your entire being. But the other word that's most important is the word present. That word present means, for example, if I present you, Joey, with a gift, I have no gift, but if I presented you with a gift, that is me volunteering, offering something that I have to you for you to have. And he's like, as a believer... We need to stop presenting ourselves, our minds, our bodies, our hearts, and our soul. Stop presenting it to ungodly behavior and offering it up to participate in ungodly behavior. Don't let your bodies, your mind, your heart, your soul be an instrument used in ungodly behavior, but rather present yourself for righteousness. Rather present yourselves, your heart, mind, soul, and body, so that God can use you as an instrument of grace, so that God can use an instrument to reach somebody for him. Stop with the ungodly behavior. Start by living for Christ. That's what he's saying. And then he finishes with this. I love it. Verse 14, he's challenging them, and he says this, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. He basically says, I want you to remember the truth about sin. With all that I've said, with all that I've explained, how I've, how I've shaped your ideas on law and grace, how I've reminded you that you know, we shouldn't continue to live in sin. So gra- no, no, no. I don't want you to do that. <coughs> Even though I've told you why you shouldn't keep sinning, here's what I want you to know. I want you to make sure sin quits reigning in your life. I want you to make sure that you're using your bodies, your heart, your mind, your soul for God's goodness rather than sinful behavior. And last of all, I want you to remember the truth about sin. And here's the truth. You are no longer under the law. You are under grace. Now, why does that matter? Because some of you feel true brokenness over your sin. And as Abby said a while ago, maybe you feel a lot of shame with that. But God loves you. God has forgiven you of that. You're not under law. You're under grace. And I think what Paul would ask us to do is to make sure that we are celebrating God's grace, not living to abuse God's grace. So, I want to ask you to do something with me this morning. There's two groups of people I want you to think about for a moment. I want to ask all of us to do this. I want to ask all of us, would you take a moment and just search your heart? See, there's some of you in the room today, maybe as we went through this passage, you're like, man, I'm living in sin. What I mean is, you're active, you're practicing, and quite frankly, you have not seen anything wrong with the way that you're living but you know it violates God's word. If that's you, listen to me, I mean this with a lot of love. If that's your heart this morning, that is not evidence of someone who's a follower of Jesus. In fact, in 1 John 1, it says this, if you claim to have fellowship with him, but yet live in darkness, in other words, if you claim to have a relationship with Christ, but your life, you're living in darkness, the truth is not in you. And here's the reason I point that out. For some of you, if you feel like you're living in sin, You just need to come to Christ this morning. You need to say, I'm going to turn from my sin. I'm going to repent of this. I don't want to continue living in this sin, and I want to turn and I want to give my life to Christ. But then for the rest of your room, like this guy, maybe you're not living in sin, but you sure do struggle with sin. You still understand that sin is attractive, that sin, while it's been dethroned from your life, still has a strong pull, and you realize this morning that you've been set free from the power, the penalty of sin but you still struggle. Here's what I would ask you to do this morning. Would you just repent to the Lord? Would you just confess whatever sin you're wrestling with, whatever you're struggling with? Maybe it's a secret sin. Maybe it's a sin your whole family knows about. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a sin you're wrestling with. Would you just confess that to the Lord? Would you just remember the truth of what we've learned today, that it no longer has jurisdiction over you? That sin doesn't have control over you. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is in you. You've been raised from death to life. And would you remember that? And last of all, would you recommit? Say, hey, Lord, you know the sins of my life. I've been struggling, but I want to give it over to you, Lord, and I want to live a life that's honoring and pleasing to you, and I want to recommit myself to live in a way that's pleasing to you. So the believers, would you consider making that decision this morning? I don't know how the Lord may be moving in your heart, how, how you took this passage, how the Lord kind of opened it up to your heart. But here's what I do know, that every single one of us in this room needs to respond to God's word today. And let me give you three ways that you can respond this morning. In a moment, we're going to sing, and there's going to be on each side of the room, and by these curtains, be pulled back. We're going to have some people there that are willing to pray for you. Maybe you just got some junk going on, and you may not even want them to know. They don't have to know your junk. You just go up and say, listen, I need prayer, and they'll pray for you. Maybe you want to come to this altar and get on your face before a holy God and you want to confess that sin in your life, or you want to confess that struggle in your life, or you want to make that recommitment to Him that you're going to follow and live for Him the rest of the days of your life. This altar's open. Or maybe you want to grab that blue card that you were given when you walked in. has a response card at the very bottom. Can we throw that slide up there, Thomas? You want to grab that response card at the bottom. There's several decisions that you can make this morning. And maybe you want to check on those boxes like, hey, I gave my life to Christ today. Or, hey, I want more information. Or, hey, I want to take a step uh, of, at a believer's baptism. I want to take that step and, and let the world know. Maybe you want to respond this way. You can fill that out. And as you leave today at the connection table, there's a box where you can just drop it in. Or maybe you just need prayer. You need to write it down there say, Pastor, would you pray for me this way? Here's my conviction this morning, church. As I prepared this series, as I've been praying to this message, and God's been doing a work on my life. You know, and sometimes when God works in your life, I, you kind of hate it, don't you? because he exposes some things that maybe you shouldn't have exposed, and he helped me deal with some, uh, some <coughs> ways of thinking that I don't really want to deal with. But at the end of the day, what I'm reminded this passage is that sin no longer has control over my life unless I give it control. Because in Christ, I'm a new creation. In Christ, I have his Holy Spirit in me, and sin no longer has dominion over me. And so I can live as a child of God who's alive, who's been set free, and who's alive. And I hope you feel the same way this morning. Let's all pray. Everybody stand with me if you would. Everybody stand. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And let's just go to the Lord in prayer. God, I love you. And I thank you this morning for your word. I know it's a lengthy passage. I know there's a lot there, Lord. But I hope that as we read the passage and we walked through it, that we were reminded the truth about Sin. The truth about how as believers, we should not live a life where sin reigns, where sin dictates. We shouldn't live a life where we're handing over the reins of our life to sin and giving in to that. Jesus, I hope we remind today that when you died on the cross and we gave our lives to you, we surrendered to you, that you set us free. And we don't want to go back to slavery. We don't want to go back to being a slave to sin. We want to live this life alive for you. So God, I pray for that. I pray that we would heed the challenge of Paul. That we wouldn't let sin reign in our lives anymore. That we would yield our members of our body, our heart, soul, mind, and strength to doing your work rather than participating in ungodly behavior. But ultimately, Lord, I pray that we would remember the truth about sin. That we've died to it. And now we're alive in Christ. God, I thank you today we can stand here and say that we are not under the law, but under grace. We're not under a system that we would have to keep perfectly to be saved, knowing that we can't keep it perfectly. Rather, we're under your grace. We're under your undeserved favor in our lives. God, I thank you this morning (coughs) that you loved us so much that you sent your only son to this world to die for us knowing that we didn't deserve it, we couldn't earn it. But all we have to do is put our faith in Jesus and receive your love, your salvation, and allow ourselves to be under your grace. I pray we thank you for that this morning, Lord. However you're moving today, I pray that you would move in our hearts. I pray for those who don't know you, that they would make a commitment to trusting Jesus this morning, or at least acknowledging they want more information. But God, my heart really goes out today to those of us that are believers. We can say we don't, but we know we all struggle with sin. And I pray today this passage would speak truth into our hearts and that we would respond appropriately. We love you, Lord. For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you need to come to the altar, it's open. If you need prayer, we got people on both sides. If you need to take a minute with the Lord, you can sit back down. But wherever you find yourself this morning, There's truth in this word that we need to glean this morning to remind us that we're free. Everybody say with me, "I'm I'm free. Do you believe that this morning? That you're really set free? So maybe it's time to start acting like it. Maybe it's time to start living like it. Maybe it's time to start making decisions like we've been set free from the bondage of sin. So however the Lord leads you as we sing, would you be faithful to respond?